welcome to the Damon Parker Podcast. On today's episode, you will hear the sermon I preached on January 22nd, 2017. It was a special look at the truth of life, the sometimes hard truth of life, and the beauty of the people of God as they respond with love and compassion. As always, I hope you are moved, and thanks for listening. Um, so, we have been doing a series uh, for several weeks on uh, being faithful, and we've been really talking about over the last several weeks the things that pull us away from that, that, that uh, trap us and make us feel like we're not being faithful, or that we're not living up to the expectations we have of ourselves, or we believe God has of us. And uh, we're going to continue that series next week. Uh, but over the past 48 hours, uh, uh, decided we're going we're gonna to push that off a week and talk about something a little different tonight. A week ago, um, my mother-in-law, uh, Sherry Moore, lost her sister Janet uh, to a bout with cancer. She'd been in the hospital for a while, uh, was in hospice the last little bit of her life, and uh, Sherry and her family, Sherry's mom, uh, uh, Sherry's brother Chris, uh, Janet's husband Phil got to be with her a lot there at hospice um, before she, she passed away a week ago. And uh, then Melody and Marissa went uh, earlier this week to be with the family and be at the funeral. Um, then, uh, obviously, uh, Friday afternoon, um, Elvis fell, um, had had a massive brain hemorrhage, and has been at Hendrick since, and uh, is resting peacefully um, in uh, hospice on the seventh floor there. Unknown to many of you, probably, um, on Thursday, uh, Grant and I uh, and Jackson drove to Houston uh, for a basketball tournament, uh, and right after we got there, uh, I got a call from our friend Lloyd, who had gotten a, an extremely bad report from his doctor uh, about his cancer. Um, it has come back in a huge way, and uh, with his other health issues, the HIV he has and that sort of thing, um, it, it looks pretty bleak. And uh, we spent a lot of time on the phone uh, Thursday night, and I know he actually spent time on the phone with other people in this place. Um, but um, it was much of a struggle for Lloyd, um, and um, so much so that uh, several of us here talked with one another. And again, Friday morning, uh, lots of time was spent with Lloyd, and uh, the decision was made, and so... Uh, Friday, Lloyd went and will be at uh, Oceans, the uh, psychiatric hospital, for a while. Um, I mention those three things not, not to bring us down, but to help us at least understand uh, a little bit about what is happening among us. 
Um, just a minute ago, even right before I got up here at the end of communion, uh, Jonathan said, I think a lot of people here are tired. And I think he's right. But I say all that because the next thing I say probably won't make sense in light of all that. Um, but I hope you will give me a moment to bring it back together. Because what I want to share with you is one other thing that happened recently. This happened uh, the night of our Christmas party. Uh, the Wednesday night before Christmas is our annual tradition to have a Christmas party here. And we, we gather in there and there's food and uh, there's fun and goofiness. And uh, there was uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, that weird claymation thing where an elf wants to be a dentist, uh, was shown in here. And, and uh, we were having a typical kind of hope time of just hanging out, I can still see and will forever uh, be able to see in my mind John and Denise uh, doing the uh, partridge in a pear tree uh, thing they were doing there. Um, but towards the end of our time, as people were beginning to leave, and, and uh, we have people among us, um, you may not be this person, but there are a few people among us who, whenever something begins to wind down, they immediately begin cleaning. Uh, that's just their personality. Um, and so they began to clean up and pick up the extra food and kind of package it up and, and began wiping tables and that sort of thing. And so the food was being put away and some of the kids had wandered back in here to watch the second half of the movie and people were beginning to say goodbye and some of them were leaving town for Christmas and people were hugging. And as that was going on, a young man came in the door and came in here. A guy that I had personally never seen before. Maybe some of you had, but I hadn't. And he came in, and uh, he was talking very loudly. And I, that's saying something for me, to say that someone else is talking very loudly. He was talking very loudly and saying some, just to be honest, some, a few things that were kind of strange. And um, came in and wanted to know what we were doing and what was going on. And uh, someone was trying to explain that we're having a Christmas party and here's what's happening. And uh, I'm not sure he completely got it. And he said, isn't this church? And yes. Um, and then he said, it looks like there was food here. And very quickly, very quickly, uh, a couple of the people who were cleaning went in the kitchen without anybody saying anything, went in the kitchen and began unwrapping the food that they had just started cleaning up and brought what we had left, which at the end of this Christmas party was a very odd assortment of food and placed it on a plate and he sat down and began eating. And someone said that he was asking for me, which I thought was unusual because I did not know him, but uh, I went and sat down beside him and he had a piece of paper. We had, been, we had been playing some games and we had some paper that we'd been using and he had flipped it over and he had, he had written me a note. And he told me what was on the note. And, and here's what he said. And, and, and I, it, it's okay to laugh a little. This is what it said. It had his name. And then it said, he said, I gave you my name so that you'll know who I am. And I wrote on here my social security number and my phone number and what used to be my phone number. Now, I don't know what you do with something that used to be your phone number, but I, I, I have that info should I need it. Now, I want to tell you why I'm telling you that story. 
Because there's a pretty good chance that some of you who were here, who watched some Rudolph, who saw John and Denise do their partridge in a pear tree thing, who participated, who ate food, who did all those things, there are many of you who were here that night who probably did not notice this. And I want to tell you why that matters. You did not notice this because it is not unusual here. Because this is the kind of thing that happens all the time. Uh, you probably didn't bat an eye. Um, you probably assumed, oh, that's somebody we all know, and I just don't happen to know this person, even though that wasn't the truth. Um, it didn't phase you because you're used to it. Hope is a weird place. It is. We should just be frank and honest about this. Um, we should just be above board. We shouldn't hide it. Or think that we don't all know it. Okay? I, I, I used to have this phrase I would use a lot that was like, uh, um, every family has that one weirdo. And if you think your family doesn't, then that's probably you. Um, that doesn't apply at Hope. Because we got a whole bunch of strangeness that goes on here. And the thing is, if we were a giant megachurch, you couldn't, you probably wouldn't notice it. Uh, we'd have some ministry team that takes care of people that come in and want to give us their formal phone number. And they'd have a special room and they'd go and, they'd, and they would be kind and gentle and decent and it would be good. I'm not saying it would be bad. But in a place like this, at a size like this, if you are a place that attracts the this, then we all see it, right? You can't not see it. It's not hidden in the... the we, we don't have an outreach ministry that goes and deals with this. It, we deal with it. It is us. Us. We're it. And so, hope is a place where weirdness and strangeness and I don't fit in this fits in. And when hope is at its best, that is what we are. That is who we are when we are at our best. Now, don't kid yourselves. We're not always at our best. Maybe we're rarely at our best. We're human beings. But when we're at our best, you look around and think, man, how in the world are all these people in the same room? Because they don't fit. They don't make sense. And often, that makes it not work. Just being honest. It makes it not work because it's strange. It's odd. It's awkward. But it is who we are. Now, you may wonder why I would want to talk about our strangeness, our weirdness, our willingness to take in the I don't fit ins. On a week like this, it is because what makes hope beautiful is that we do not run and hide from the yuckiness, the despair, 
the hurt of life. We cannot, we are not big enough, we are not rich enough, we are not whatever enough for us to come here and pretend that difficult stuff isn't happening around us and among us. We can't. Were you, if you need to ignore it, then you can't be here. Because you can't ignore it here. It is how life is. And some weeks make it more obvious than others. There was a time several years ago um, when Laura was in the, right in the midst of her cancer diagnosis and problem, and Samantha was suddenly, to be honest, at death's door, and it was all happening at once, and people didn't even know where to go or who to... You cannot escape it in a place like this. But let me tell you why I think that is a good thing. Because God's intention was never for us to cover up that stuff. To come to church and pretend that life isn't happening. To pretend that Elvis isn't in his last moments. Or that Lloyd isn't suffering in dramatic and pretty horrible ways. Or that Sherry's sister shouldn't have lived 30 more years. We are not here to pretend. We're not here to cover up. When hope is at its best is when we are admitting life is tough and we need God and each other. That is who we are. And I think that's what's attracted us here. Now sometimes, like I said, we don't do that well, and sometimes we run away from it, and sometimes we kind of wish, it. like, could we have a week where there's no weirdness? And life is just easy. And no one is sick, and no one is hurt, and no one is acting like a buffoon. Can we just do that? And apparently we can't. And there are weeks where it's, it's tiring. And it's hard. But there's a reason it's called hope. Because we believe that in the midst of all of that craziness and yuckiness, somehow God is using us to bring healing and hope to one another. I want to read to you tonight... My favorite story from the Old Testament. It is my favorite story from the Old Testament. You can't beat a good Jesus story, but if you've got to read Old Testament, this is the one for me. This is Genesis 32, beginning in verse 22. This, is, this comes as Jacob, uh, one of the biggest jerks in the history of the world, by the way, um, has run off, He's stolen stuff from his brother. He's run off to another country. He's met the only pe person as despicable as him in the world, who happens to be his uncle. Um, and somehow he's managed to overcome him. He's coming back home. He's got all of this stuff with him. Wives and kids and sheep and servants and all this. And he finds out that his brother Esau is coming to meet him. And he's bringing 400 dudes with him. They aren't throwing a party, it doesn't sound like. And so, Jacob, because he's Jacob, does this. 
That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions, so Jacob was left alone. Now, understand his plan was to put everything between Esau and him. Right? I mean, this is like, you're on the Titanic and you're like, okay, I'll get in the boat. Everybody else, see if this thing will, will, will make it. Okay? He pushes everything out in front of him, hoping that either Esau will see all that and take mercy, or that when the killing starts, he can grab some of it and escape. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, this is Jacob at his best and worst. Jacob, he is a schemer and a grabber. He's a wrestler. That's what he is. And he has wrestled, and now I think he's realized I'm in trouble. I mean, you wrestle all night with the. It's like when I, I, I do uh, arm wrestling with uh, Barrett. Barrett's five, and he gets in there. And he, I let him, you know what you do. You're a dad. You let him push on. And, oh. and so eventually, they, kids all reach this moment where they go, oh, this is just a setup the whole time. He could kill me any time he wants. He can get me, right? That's what kids realize. Jacob has realized this, right? This guy who's wrestled, it seemed like an even match all night. Then all the guy does is touch his hip and it's out of socket and he realizes, oh no. I've been had, right? He could have taken me any time. And so, what does he say? I won't let you go till you bless me. I, I need something. Because that's Jacob, right? Always on the take. What's in it for me? Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he said. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have wrestled with God and with men and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. He wants something different now. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Let me tell you why I love this story. Jacob is a wrestler, a grabber, a taker. He gets what he can from people, then he leaves. That's what he does. He's done it to Esau. He did it to his father. He did it to his uncle. He's willing to do it to his wives. And God meets him down in a riverbank and wrestles him in the mud. Now, that may seem weird to you, and it probably is supposed to seem weird. It's not what we think of God doing, getting down in the mud and wrestling with a human being. But really, 
If you know Jesus, this makes perfect sense. Because here's the deal. Jacob wasn't going to uh, have an easy conversion. Let's put it that way. For him to really have an encounter with God, to know God, to be changed, God had to meet Jacob where Jacob was. Jacob is a wrestler, a grabber, a mudslinger. And so God got down in the muck and the mud of Jacob's life and took him on. And I think when we talk about the incarnation, about Jesus coming, that's really what we're talking about, right? That for our sake, God comes down and takes on flesh, gets down in the muck and the mud of our lives and says, okay, if this is how it has to be, let's do it here. Right where you are. In the junk. In the mess. In the earthy, muddy, yucky place that you are, I'll come. We usually think of God as holy and far off. But the God described here and the God we see in Jesus is a God down in the muck of the riverbed of our lives. Getting in where the yuckiness is so that we can be changed. When hope is at its best is when we are also willing to get down in the muck and the mud of each other's lives. In the yucky places and say, okay, this is where it has to be today. I, I don't like singling people out. But um, on Thursday, when Lloyd was in a really bad place, um, and I was talking with him and other people were... Um, Jonathan Stinson went and slept on a chair in Lloyd's house, well, kind of slept, to make sure Lloyd was okay all night. That's what God did for, Esau, for Jacob. That's what Jesus does for us. He comes to the yucky place in our life and he sleeps on the chair and says, well, I guess this is what it has to be tonight. And Kent and Jonathan, we owe a debt of gratitude to you two guys for what you did those 48 hours for Lloyd. <sighs> Kay and Elvis have opened their home again and again and again. Not just for like, hey, let's have a nice gathering of church people who come over and and, and bring pimento cheese sandwiches and we have a lovely time and everybody goes home by 7.30. They've opened their home to people desperately in need. People who are struggling physically, emotionally, mentally. People who don't have a home, literally don't have a home. They have opened their lives to those people. And when they have done that, they have represented hope and represented the God of Jacob and represented Jesus our Lord in the way that I think we're called to. 
No one is more willing to help you in a time of need or struggle than Craig and Chelsea Istry. And I don't think they came by that by accident. What I hope you hear me saying tonight is this. That in the moment of crisis, the moment of need, the moment of hurt, the moment where we don't fit in, the moment we are ostracized, God comes into that place. Jesus comes into that place. But often, the way He comes into that place is through a Kent Akers or a Jonathan Stinson. He comes through this huge crowd of people flooding into a hospital room where they probably shouldn't be. I mean, Chelsea talked to me last night about how, you know, the rule in ICU is two people. Two. I mean, Hope, you're, you're rule breakers. Okay? You are rule breakers. In the way that God calls us to break the rules of life. That in the moment where we most want to go, I don't know, that seems hard, you dive in. God could have waited till Jacob got his comeuppance at the hands of Esau or something. He could have waited and said, Ah, <laughs> see? Got what you deserve, young man. But he didn't. Right in Jacob's sorry excuse for living, God got dirty. You see, when we get down in the muck and mud of one another's lives, I think for a moment we experience godliness. See, godliness isn't just not doing that bad thing. Godliness is willingness to get in the yuck for the sake of the other. Thursday and Friday and much of Saturday, as I mentioned, Grant and Jackson and I were in Houston and we, we were playing basketball games. Well, Grant was playing basketball games. I was coaching basketball games. Um, but in between, mentally and emotionally and spiritually and sometimes on the phone, I, I was here. I had people calling and texting me and there was a huge part of me that wanted to be here. That felt like I needed to be here. But Friday night, as I started getting messages about Elvis, after I thought the crisis from the day before was put to bed, this new thing happened. As I was getting those, a massive storm came where we were. Right, Jackson? Huge. Lightning, thunder, rain so hard I was at a restaurant People wouldn't even leave. Like everybody was at the door. Just it was too hard. You couldn't even see your car. And I thought, I'm stuck. I'm stuck here just 
away from people I love and I should be there. And then this little voice inside me said something that I needed to learn. And that's that you don't have to be there. They all have each other. You are the body of Christ. You are ministers of the gospel. You are servants of the Lord. And that's what you do for one another. And that makes this place special. And it makes this world livable. For the time we have to be here. And tonight, I pay you the deepest honor and respect that I can pay you. And that is to say this. You truly, truly, truly are a place of hope. And I thank you for being the hands and feet of Jesus the past few days. And I encourage you to continue to do it. Because that is when we were at our best. Last thing, and I'm going to sit down and cry. We do not always do this well. Some of you right now may be thinking, man, I went through a crisis and I didn't get near the level of outreach that it sounds like. And I want to, first of all, apologize for myself and for us. We are sinful and stupid. We do not always do it well. But... Look around this room. I mean, literally, like right now, look around this room. Don't, don't just look at me and pretend you're looking around. Look around. <laughs> look around this room. This is an odd bunch of messed up people, man. <laughs> it is. I know some things about people in here that if some of you don't know would turn you white. Whiter than you already are. You know some things too. And yet here we are. Because the Spirit of God and the love of Christ pulls us together when it doesn't make sense. It is the beauty of the thing we call church. The beauty of church is not the songs we sing or the praise we pray, the prayers we pray, or the way we're able to make worship work or not work, or that the sound system tonight for once didn't flip out on us. What makes church beautiful is the love of God made complete in us towards each other. So tonight, we're going to end this sermon by making that love complete. Um, Before I left uh, the hospital earlier, uh, Kay and I were discussing, uh, we were discussing funeral arrangements, to be honest. Um, But before I left, I I said, hey, I'm going up to church, we're going to have worship practice, we're going to get ready. Is there anything you want me to tell people? Anything you, you need? Anything like that? Of course, Kay, anything you need, I mean... She's not going to ask for it. But she asked me for something. I don't think she's ever asked me for something before. So I said, okay. She said, I do have one thing I wish you'd do. And I said, okay, we'll do it. She said, tonight when y'all are at church, would you gather around and pray over my family? Because 
It's hard for them. She didn't say it was hard for her. She said it's hard for them. Um, and so I said, of course we will. Because we're the body of Christ. That's what we do. So in just a moment, we're going to have our invitation time. Grant and Davina are going to come up here and play, if they possibly can. Um, and they're going to sing a, a song that is a hope standard. This is a hope song. Um, and I encourage you to belt it out. Um, but as they do, um, I'm going to ask uh, for these people right here, and you two there in the back, you two that are running. Why are y'all doing that tonight? Um, we're gonna, someone's going to take over for them. We're going to make sure that the computer runs. Uh, and we're going to have Craig and Chelsea and their family right over here. And we're going to pray over them. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to bless them the way Kay has asked us to. And then after we're done with that, Austin's going to be down front. Uh, Hannah's going to be down front. Uh, Randy is going to be up here. Um, I'll be around. If you need prayers, if you need help, if you just want to praise God, we want to meet with you. Um, this is a time to minister to one another and to share the love of Christ uh, that comes from being brothers and sisters. Um, pour out your hearts and let God fill them back up. Let's stand. Like a hurry.